Wow, I love church. I want to read a verse that most people don't like to read, don't want to memorize, and heaven forbid we don't practice. Look in Hebrews 13. There's a lot of good verses in this chapter. But let's look in verse 17. You know, right off the bat, the very first word is just something that's not popular today. What's the first word in your Bible there? Oh my, that's almost like a cuss word today. Obey, are you talking to me? You must be talking to someone else. You can't tell me what to do. Come on, folks, you know what I'm talking about. Our human nature does not like authority, period. Even those of us that name the name of Christ, we have an old flesh, do we not? You know how I know that? Speed limit, 55, what do we do? Yes, come on. And those of you that are doing 54, we're honking our horn at you, hallelujah. Get out of the way. I had a friend of mine, a preacher, come into Chicago, and he said, I can't believe it. People are driving 70 mile an hour. I'm driving 70 mile an hour, and people are driving by me, flipping a certain finger at me and swearing at me. I can read their lips. What will I do? And I said, pull over and get out of their way. <laughs> That's how they drive in Chicago, hallelujah. I'm just saying, our old nature does not like authority. You tell a child, here's 35 toys in this room. You can play with all of them, but don't touch this, this dirty diaper over here. When you leave the room, where are they going? Dirty diaper. They don't like being told what to do, even in their nursery right now. Those kids are stealing one another's pacifiers. <coughs> That's our human nature. Obey. Obey them that have rule over you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And submit yourselves. Man, you're supposed to obey these guys and submit yourselves to them. For they watch for your souls. You know what he's talking about? Pastor of the church. They watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I'm not going to take time to exegete and develop this one verse. I'm just going to make application to this church. Like I said, I'm going to take liberty as if you were my church or if I was part of your church. And I'm going to chat with you if you please. I might raise my voice every now and then. Don't misinterpret that as being mad at you. I'm just excited. <laughs> Obey them. You have a pastor. I can't exaggerate my love and respect for Brother Dane Keeley. And after seeing the video, there's hope. He's even going to be better looking <laughs> in the future. He's already got a great mind. His appearance is just going to skyrocket now. But you as a church have a responsibility to follow him as he follows Christ. Now, if he errs in doctrine, the deacons know what to do. There's, God tells us what to do with, a, with an erring pastor. But as he follows Christ, as a church, you have an obligation, a responsibility for the glory of God 
not for the glory of Dane Keeley, but for the glory of God to follow him as he follows Christ. Why? We're a body. We're not individual superstars. We have surrendered our personal rights to join the body of Christ. Some may be a finger, some might be a toe, some might be the eye, some might be an ear. It makes no difference what member particular you are. We're part of the body and we're going to function to the, together to do the work of the Lord so that God will receive glory and honor in this lifetime. That's what we're doing. And we have a responsibility to follow our pastor. And so today, I want to teach to you what every church member should do. Seven things. You say, wow, that's a lot of points. Every one of them are a sermon. But I'm not going to preach a sermon on everyone. I'm presuming that the majority of this crowd, you're not in church today because you didn't have anything else to do. You're here of your own volition and desire to be here. And so I'm going to highlight seven things that every church member should do. Would you join me in prayer? Pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I'm going to do the very best I can to teach and preach your word. And I pray that the seed sown would land in fertile soil and bring forth fruit in the days and weeks ahead. For that man or woman, whether they're a member or a guest, I pray that today they'll come to know Jesus Christ as Savior if they're not saved. They're just a heartbeat from a devil's hell. And I pray that they'd be saved today. For the members of this dear church, would you bless them and help us to take it up a notch and be at a point where we're ready for revival next week. Wow, Dr. R.B. Wallet, what a great man of God. What a great preacher. And I pray that you prepare the soil here even for next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Most preachers think they know their people, but they, we don't know you intimately always. I read of a preacher that was somewhat surprised of one of his members. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman. She was on a busy boulevard. Suddenly the light turned yellow and just in front of him. And so he did the right thing. He stopped at the yellow light and stopped before the crosswalk, even though he probably could have beaten the red light like most Floridians do. The tailgating woman, she was ready to accelerate and beat the red light to follow him through. But because he stopped, she had to stop. And she was furious. She honked her horn. She was screaming in frustration. She dropped her phone her purse fell and emptied out. Her makeup went on the floor. And as she was in a mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window. And she looked up, and there was a very serious man staring at her. It was a police officer. The police officer ordered her to get out of her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station. She was searched fingerprinted, photographed, placed in a holding cell. After a couple hours later, a policeman came back, handed her her cell phone, gave her her license, gave her her keys. She was escorted 
to the front desk and the officer gave her the remaining personal effects that he accumulated from her car and he said, ma'am, I'm very, very sorry for this mistake. You see, when I pulled up behind you, you were blowing your horn, you were flipping the finger at the guy in front of you, you were cussing a blue streak. And I saw on your bumper, a bumper sticker that said, what would Jesus do? And choose life was the uh, license plate holder that you had. You had a little fish emblem on the back of your car. And you had a, another bumper sticker that said, follow me to Sunday school. And so naturally, I assumed the car was stolen. <coughs> well, we might be surprised about a lot of our members from time to time. When you read the New Testament, the New Testament is primarily written to the church and specifically to church members. The book of Acts exemplifies how members ought to behave. The book of Thessalonians outlines how church members glorify God. The book of Philippians paints the smiley face on the church. The book of Corinthians details what church members you should avoid. I'm saying... The New Testament has a lot to say about church members. And so today, as a pastor, knowing the heart of your pastor, who is a biblicist, this is what I believe every church member should do. Number one, read your Bible every single day. Need I remind you, 2 Timothy 2.15 says... Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Psalm 119, 11, people say, I'm struggling with sin in my life. You wouldn't have near the struggle if you would just do what the scripture says. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. John 5, 9 says, search the scriptures. Psalm 1, 2 says, but his delight is in the law and the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. I'm telling you, Bible Baptist Church, you will do yourself a personal favor, but you will actually stir revival up in your own church if this church becomes a Bible reading church. A few years ago, I was challenging my church, and so let me just pretend you are them. Let me just set the format with you. I'll just pretend like I didn't say that, okay. Didn't say that. Okay. How many believe everything on television is true? Would you raise your hand? How many believe everything on television is good for moral character development? Would you raise your hand? How many would say everything on television will help develop a good, wholesome marriage? Raise your hand. How many are not going to raise your hand no matter how many questions I ask? Did you guys fall asleep on me already? All right, let's try this. How many believe everything in the Bible is true? Would you raise your hand? Ah, now you woke up. How many believe everything in the Bible will help you develop character to be a good man and a good person? Would you raise? How many believe that everything in the Bible taught, read, would help develop a good, wholesome marriage? Then why is it that we spend more time watching television than reading our Bible. 
Now, I'm not going to talk about Bible Baptist Church because I've already said I love this church and I don't want you guys to hate me. So let's talk about all those other churches out there. Okay? This is just a, a little prayer meeting for them. Okay, we're going to try to lift them up and help them. How many of you, knowing Christians, not members of this church, but know Christians of another church, you would say they watch television more than they read their Bible? How many would say that would be true of most Christians out there? Yeah, I thought so. Not this church, but all those people are. I know. When I talk to young people, they look at me like I'm a Martian. Don't go there. Don't you know we're in the 21st century? Are you going to start preaching against TV? People already start protecting their gods. Even though they know I'm on the truth path, they don't like where it's leading. So I challenged my, my church that year. I said, hey, how many would like to see with your own human eyes God beat the devil up in your home? I'm not talking about hearing testimonies of other people. How many like to see it in your family, in your marriage, in your home? You'd like to see God literally beat the devil up. That's what I mean. They were raising their hand. Yeah, I mean, we got Southsiders. We're not on the north side where all the money is and all the sweetsy people are. I mean, we're on the south side where bad, bad Leroy Brown is. I mean, it's a rough crowd on that side of town. And I said, how many want to see God beat the devil up? Yeah, we're ready. Let's see him beat the devil up. I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give God equal time. You watch an hour of TV, you've already told me there's nothing good on it. You say, well, not everything on TV is bad. How about Andy and Mayberry? Well, that's one of the happiest shows on TV, but not one of them are married. We'd all be happy if we weren't married. <laughs> We'd all be happy if we didn't have kids. I mean, whose kid is like Opie? I mean, there's no kid like that. That's a, that's, a, that's a cartoon character. Come on. You know what I'm saying. Come on. So let's give God equal time. So, I mean, I think all but one guy, and he doesn't volunteer for anything, everyone signed up for this. They read their Bible as much as they watched TV. It was awesome. I mean, the very first week, they came in, they had, some had their Bibles open. Did you know this was in the Bible? <laughs> ah, I'm a preacher. I've read that a few times. Did you, know, did you know they were building the Sears Tower in Chicago? Like Chicago, they're building a, a skyscraper in the Bible? I said, yeah, I, I thought you signed up last year to read the Bible through. Yeah, I did. I didn't get very far. Yeah, I guess not. That's Genesis 11. <laughs> and, and, and I had one guy come up and say, do you know, preacher, there's a lot of mm -mm 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 going on in the Bible. You don't want us watching TV because all that, mm, 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 mm. but there's a lot of mm, 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 going on in the Bible. This guy's sleeping with this, and, you know. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. God doesn't skirt around those issues, but he doesn't lie about it either. Hollywood glamorizes immorality. You ever see what happens to immorality in the Bible? God tells you what happens. He doesn't say it doesn't happen. It happens, but he also tells you what happens after that. Hollywood says, that's not true. You're missing out if you don't get involved immorally. That's a lie from hell. It was funny. They were re we were having revival without a revival speaker. You know why? They were in the Word of God. March 1st, eight guys came up. 
walking straight at me. And I looked, there was no one behind me, so I, I realized they were coming to talk to me. And they came up, and then they got to me, and they sort of fanned a half circle, and the guy, the spokesperson said, Pastor, we got a question. This is serious, because men don't ask questions. <laughs> I said, all right, what's your question? He said, can we bank hours? I said, bank hours? I'm about to go preach a sermon, and they asked me a stupid question. Can we bank hours? Whoever said there are no stupid questions was stupid. <laughs> there are stupid questions. He said, can we, can we bank hours? And I said, well, what, do you, just, what is it you want to know? Preacher, man, March Madness starts in two weeks. And just the thought, I'm going to be watching basketball every night for three hours. And the thought of reading my Bible for three hours is just killing me. He said, could, could I just read an hour tonight and not watch any TV and bank it? And, and read an hour tomorrow night and bank it and not watch TV? I said, that's between you and God. You guys, you guys deal with God on that. I'm telling you, at the end of the year, it was incredible. We still have people today that don't watch TV in our church. Now, I still do. Not as much as I read my Bible. But we have people that kick the habit. And that's not a bad habit to kick, by the way. But at the end of the year, you know what most of our people said? Preacher, I've read more Bible this year than I've ever read in my life. But I also got to tell you, I've watched the least amount of TV I've ever watched in my life. Because every time we'd sit and watch a movie together, we'd look at each other and say, oh, no. We got to read our Bible for two and a half hours. <laughs> well, our crowd's not near as spiritual as your crowd down here. But I want to challenge you. Somebody ought to say, you know what? Laugh all we want. Our Christianity is real weak today. We have people that can tell you every player, how much they make, what the rumors are of who's going to sign with who, who kicked a field goal, who missed a field goal, what the chances and odds are in Vegas on who's going to win the Super Bowl, but they can't tell you the 12 disciples' names. Can't tell you the eight Beatitudes. Don't know where the golden rule is. In fact, many think the golden rule is not even in the Bible. It's just... Aesop's fable or something like that. They couldn't tell you what the Ten Commandments are, and if they could, they couldn't say in order and tell you where it's found in the Bible. I'm just saying we're living in a biblical, ignorant generation in our churches today that all say they love God. If you're going to be a good member and have a good church, read your Bible. Not once a week, once a day. Amen. Amen. Well, how much Bible should I read? Read four If you read four chapters a day, you can read through the scripture a whole year. I had one guy say, oh, come on, preacher, give me a challenge. All right, read ten chapters. Well, hey, don't overdo it now. I mean, 10 chapters every day? I mean, I'm not going to be a missionary. All right, read uh, eight chapters. Oh, that's a lot of... Ch well, read six chapters. Well, man, I'm telling you, I said, read one chapter. 
Well, now you're insulting me. Well, you're insulting me. Read something. Read a verse. One verse is better than no verses. Are you with me? Yes. Something's better than nothing. Are you going to do well in your Christian life by reading one verse a day? Probably not real well. That's like eating one little one ho-ho. That's not going to do it. It'd be nice thought, but it won't do it. You got to at least have a box of them <laughs> for every meal. Hallelujah. I'm just saying, read your Bible every day. Number two, like I said, it could be a sermon for every point, but we don't want to do that because we got uh, a really good sermon tonight. Number two, pray daily. Learn to pray. My, my dad used to say, prayer is the hardest work I know. Ian Bounds said, prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that nobody believes it. Now, wait a minute. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's don't run past that. Can prayer do anything God can do? Well, let's see what Jesus said. Ask, you shall receive. Knock, shall be opened. Seek, ye shall find. The Bible says, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that's Jesus speaking, Whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatsoever he shall ask, I will do it. That sounds like prayer can do anything God can do, doesn't it? You would think somebody in the church or some group in the church would say, wow. If America needs revival, and if prayer can do anything God can do, and I've been praying for revival for years, it's obviously not God that can't hear my prayers. His ear isn't heavy. His hand is not shortened that it can't reach out to me. Something is hindering my prayers. I'm going to learn how to pray. And it may take more than a day or a week or even a month. But if prayer is that powerful, I want to learn how to pray. You'd think somebody would. But to pray like that is work. And that's why my dad said, prayer is the hardest work I know. And then I used to say after him, prayer is the most productive work. I know. We do a lot of busy work trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. But if we would just do what God has asked us to do, He will do what only He can do. Are you with me? Start a prayer journal. Get a prayer buddy. Pray with one another. Bible says pray without ceasing. Jesus said ought, uh, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 1 Timothy 2, 1, 
I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. 1 Samuel 12, 23. I love this verse. Moreover, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. It's a sin against God for me to cease praying for one another. Thirdly, attend services faithfully. Attend services faithfully. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Every member ought to be here. And if at all possible, it ought to be at every service. Uh, some people, I said in Sunday school, some people think Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night are like three services. You hit one out of three. We're a family. We're a body. We're to assemble ourselves together every time the body meets. Let's just say, uh, who's one of the most athletic men in this church? Do we have anybody like that in this church? Who, who's the most athletic man in this church? Tell me. Well, make up one then. I would say the guy in the, in the middle. In the middle. Okay, which middle? Who's he? Your wife. Okay, wife, what is your first name? Jenny. Jenny? Jeanette. With a T-H. Okay, Jeneth comes in. And she's got some uh, jogging britches on and a jogging jacket on, the headband, you know, the Nike swoosh, everything. She's decked out. She's just been to the mall. She's going to start a jogging for Jesus club. Jogging shoes, everything's color coordinated. She's ready to go. And she said, okay, class, let's get together. We're going to have jogging for Jesus. We're going to have scripture on the back of our jerseys. When we're out running, so when people see us running, they're not going to see us just like normal runners out there. They're going to see us with a message on our back. And we're going to sow the seed while we're exercising this body. Let's have a jogging for Jesus. We're going to run over to Starbucks. We're going to sit and have iced coffee and frappuccinos and, and get caffeined up so that we have enough energy to run back. And we're going to share tracks at Starbucks. So she gathers a group together, and now we're jogging for Jesus. The group is getting bigger and bigger. One Sunday, she comes in in a wheelchair. And uh, we notice it looks like she's sitting as if her right leg is underneath her seat. She's sitting on her right leg. And we look at her and try not to be obvious looking. Nobody goes and stares. You just sort of Go over here and take a look, and you're thinking, I wonder if she had an accident. She uh, looks like she's missing her leg. And then you ask somebody, did Jenneth get in a car wreck? Did, is she an amputee? I mean, isn't she the lady that was in charge of our jogging for Jesus? I would have swore, but you know, she had jogging pants on. I don't know. Maybe she had an artificial limb the whole time, and I didn't notice month later she comes in got her jogging 
outfit on. Okay, we're going to resume our jogging for Jesus Club. Who wants to join? And people are, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll do. Oh, she's got her leg back now. <laughs> a month later, she comes in a wheelchair. And there. now you're a little more bold. You just go right up to her and say, hey, are you sitting on your leg? No. You know what people will think? They're going to come to the conclusion that she does have an artificial leg. Not that it's bad, but it's an artificial leg. You know why? Because if it were her real leg, it would be attached to the body all the time. Now, this is the message that we convey to the world and even to other church members. We come to church, we miss church. We come to church, we miss church. We come to church, we miss church. We're not judging. We're just trying to figure it out. Because an authentic believer would assemble with the body when the body meets. Are you with me? But people that assemble when it's convenient, when they want it, they get a little tension, and then they're out and in, out and in. You can't help but wonder to be confused and say, can't be authentic. If it were real, they'd be there. Right? It's important that we attend all services that we possibly can. I want to tell you, our, my sermons aren't of that great, and Brother Keeley's are better than mine, but his aren't that great either. But I'm going to tell you what, both of us work a long time to prepare a message. And for people to come in and just take flippantly the teaching and preaching of God's Word tells us they're very immature in Christ or they're not authentic. Because an authentic believer absorbs everything that the Lord has to say. Okay, number four, I gotta hurry. Number four, this is what every church member ought to do. We said, first of all, read your Bible. Secondly, have a prayer life, pray every day. Thirdly, attend every service that you can. Fourthly, are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt, please. Everybody look at me. Do you still like me so far? How can you not like a guy that has a cool mustache like I do. I mean, that's just cool. Okay, here it comes. Every member ought to tithe and give offerings. There you go. I wondered how far we'd get into the sermon before he'd be talking about money. That's all those preachers want is money. My dad used to say this, I loved, the older my dad got, he said things that he wouldn't say before. I mean, he'd say it in the office, but not outside. And so the older he got, I don't know, old people tend to let things hang out, I guess. I don't know. But he says, hey, listen, if you think that all I want is your money, keep your stinking money and go to another church. He said, everyone that joins this church brings nothing but problems. And you can't bring enough money with you to help me tolerate all the problems I'm going to have to deal with. 
Wow, we have 55 joined the church that day. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's how you build a church. <laughs> you know what? He's telling the truth. Think about it. We all have problems. Now, every one of you don't have as many problems as the person next to you or that other family in the church because we all got that family in the church that has more, more problems than anybody else. But for us, we're easy. I'm low-maintenance preacher, but every one of us bring problems. I, I think it's funny when young couples think, I'm going to get married and all my problems are going to be behind me. And then they say, well, man alive, we'll have children and we won't have any more problems because I don't have to deal with him anymore. <sighs> then they grow to be teenagers. You know what is nice? Grandchildren. They have problems too, but you know what? We send them home. <laughs> and quite frankly, we try to stir it up a little bit to give my son-in-law more problems. Just go ahead and make it tough on your dad. Make him believe in prayer more than he ever has. I'm just saying, tithing is what every church member ought to do. I personally do not know what members in our church tithe. Well, let me rephrase it this way. I do not look at the giving records. Does that make sense? Although, according to Scripture, I have every right as a pastor to look at the giving records. Let me give you one illustration. Remember when Jesus said, this widow has given more than anybody else? How did he know that? Did he use his mystical powers? No, they brought their offering to the altar where the rabbi was. That's why he gave other instruction. If you get to the altar with your offering and you realize you got ought against your brother, set your offering down. Didn't say to take it with you. You know why? Because you'll stop at McDonald's or McDavid's and get lunch out there. Leave your offering here. Go get it right and then come back and then present it. What were they doing? They brought it where the priest was there. You know why? People don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. Ananias and Sapphira, they brought a whole bunch. How, how, the, the apostles knew how much they gave. But that's when God gave them the spirit of discernment and said, why are you holding back on God? I'm just saying, I have biblical authority to, and by the way, you shouldn't be afraid of that. We don't have secrets here. We're transparent. We're open. You know what the pastor gets paid. And if you want the giving records, you can look at the financial records of the church and find out what your preacher gives. Everybody gets real sensitive about that. I personally do not. You know why? Because I don't want this guy here to think that I like this guy here more because he gives more money than he does. To me, it's one less headache. The only time I ever have the records checked is when someone's giving me trouble in church. I mean, causing division in the church. I'll ask the secretary. Do they tithe? Because the only one that caused Jesus any problems in the church was Judas Iscariot, and the Bible said he was a thief. And yet he was the church treasurer. He was an officer in the church, but he was a thief. 
And generally speaking, the people that do cause troubles in churches are not tithers or givers. They're thieves. They're there to take, to get anything and everything they can. And when it doesn't go their way, they stir up trouble. That's an old man telling a young church how to protect your own church. You ought to tithe. You say, well, man, that's 10%. Now, you mean 10% of my take-home pay or 10% of the gross? How much do you want God to bless you? 10% of the gross. I mean, once you go down that road, you give Uncle Sam, then you give your electric company, then you give your, oh, you don't guys don't have gas down here, do you? Or you don't have heat. Well, son, God pays for that. Uh, you could just go right down the list and then tithe on what, no, you give, the Bible says 10% of the first fruits. What you made, what God blessed you with. Give him 10%. And then the more you grow in the Lord, you give more than 10%. Yes, I practice what I preach. We give 40% of what we make. You know what? God just keeps giving it to us. You can't outgive God. Man says, I can't afford to tithe. I'm not being facetious, and really, we don't need your money. Because if our church needs money, God will provide it through someone else. Don't feel like you're the savior of the church. But God will bless you. If you say, I can't afford to tithe, you of all people can't afford not to tithe. The Bible says, he that sows sparingly, and the context of that chapter is giving finances to the work of God. He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. That's what God says. And so I just tell, especially our new members, you know, because for new members, especially if they just got saved, I mean, everything is new to them. Read the Bible, read it every day, my word. That's a big book. Pray, what will I say? Ten church, I can figure that one out. That seems like a lot of church, but okay. But then when you get to tithing, wow, that's a whole new ballgame. Most of them are in debt way over their eyeballs. And, and they're thinking, 10%? I'd be lucky to give $10. But learn to tithe. Fifthly, are you still with me? Say amen. <laughs> Coming down the end, I said there's only seven, so we're on five. Number five, I got down as maintenance. And you say, where is that in the Bible? Genesis chapter 2. Remember, Adam, God said, here's a perfect garden for you. Perfect? Yep, perfect. Now I got work for you to do. So people think we're going to get to heaven and sound the easy lazy boy and dip our feet in the water of the river of life and sip uh, virgin margaritas and watch all the angels do all the work. No, work is good for us. We may not sweat in heaven, but work is good for us. He told Adam before sin came into the garden, he said, I want you to dress it and to keep it. You know what that's called? W-O-R-K, work. Work is not a bad work. It's actually good. He said, I want you to dress it. I want you to keep it. I want you to maintain this, this garden. It's beautiful. I want you to maintain it that way. Can I tell you, you guys got beautiful properties. I told our Sunday school class today, in our church, we have 
a lot of acreage, seven acres, which is a lot in suburbia. When you're house to house, city to city, those of you from the cities and suburbs, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just packed on. Seven acres right there, three big buildings, not one paid janitor, all volunteers. We have, like you, we have a a multi-purpose auditorium, but we use ours during the week for children's ministries, teen ministries. So every week we take down 454 chairs. Every week we set up 454 chairs, not one paid janitor, all volunteers. That's the body working together. You say, whew, that's a lot of work. That's, yeah, it is. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. It's a lot of work. But you know what? The people that are involved in ministry are the people that are the happiest in the church. The people that give financially love their church. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I don't know from the records, but I know who loves our church. By the people that are involved in ministry, that tells me they love our church. That tells me they give. Because usually... People that give money will also give their time because people that have money knows what it takes to get money. It takes work. Get involved in ministry here. When I even here at your church because of the habit I have at home, I go in the bathroom, wash my hands, take a paper towel, I wipe up the sink. You know why? I want the next guy coming behind me that might be a first-time visitor to come in and say, wow, bathrooms look nice. If I see dirt on the floor or paper on the floor, I pick it up. I didn't throw it there. And for me, bending over to pick up paper is not easy anymore. Amen. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm at the point where I get down to pick up a piece of paper, I look around to see if there's anything else down. <laughs> Because I don't want to have to come down here again. I'm just going to get it while I'm down here. Help maintain the church. Number six, are you with me? Sixth thing every church member should do. Obey those that rule over you. Here it is. Sixth thing. Are you ready? You still love me? Okay, number six. That was three of you. We lost four. Number six. Witness. Every day. There's really three religious exercises that will help you stay revived. I'm giving you seven things for a church member, but three, if you do every day, will help you stay close to the Lord. Read your Bible, pray, and witness. The first one to go usually is witnessing. That's the job of the preacher. That's what we hired him for. Then you just made your preacher a hireling. And that would offend him if he knew that. We're not hirelings. The second to go is praying. Because prayer is work. Oh, you'll pray for your meal. You'll You'll pray when you lose your job. You'll pray when you get the big C or a heart attack or or your kids or your marriage. You'll pray when you get in trouble. 
but your prayer life goes up. And then the last is usually Bible reading. You keep those three going every day, it will help you stay close to the Lord. Now, witnessing. Now, please understand, I'm a pastor. And our people, I'm convinced, are no different than, than you guys. In fact, there's a lot of similarities, quite frankly. And, uh, and I realize even in my church, not everybody is outgoing. You wouldn't believe this if I would say this. I'm not really outgoing. Most people think every preacher is just gregarious by nature. He's a sanguine in personality or a choleric. He's just outgoing. He's type A. And uh, he's the alpha. He's, he's just out there. But quite frankly, I don't like people. And for me, I just soon go out to eat by myself. I, I don't mind playing golf by myself. I always win. <laughs> um, people annoy me. There are times I get in the car going home from church and I tell Lloyd, I said, I think we're the only two, two normal people in that whole church. They're all weird. And quite frankly, I'm suspicious of one of us. And so I only say that to say that a lot of people would say for the pastor, that's just normal. You'd be surprised how many introverted pastors there are today. As kids and teenagers, they were a screwball. They didn't have a lot of friends. They were nerdy or unique, and, and they didn't fit in with the crowd, even in church. But when God calls them, and by the way, he's called every one of you. You're called of God. Every one of us are to witness. Am I telling the truth? Jesus said, follow me. What do followers do? They follow. And there isn't a person in here that Names the name of Christ that would say, you know, I'm not a follower of Christ. Oh, no, you'd say just the opposite. You'd say, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm saved. I'm part of the redeemed. I'm in the blood-washed band. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, let me be kind about it and say it with a soft voice so I'm not being judgmental or critical. Followers, according to Jesus, are going to be fishers of men. So if I'm not fishing for men, would I be safe to say it's a good indication I'm really not following? Am I with anybody still with? I'm talking as a pastor to a church. You got a great church. I'm trying to help you to grow from this level to the next level. we got to sober up. We live in a wicked world. Paul said we need to redeem the time. And, and if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to get the same results. So somebody's got to say, hey, we got to tend to something here. Everybody should be a witness. Everybody. Young kids, you say, well, what do you expect from a young kid? 
if P is old enough to get saved, he's old enough to witness. I led my first soul to Christ as a 10-year-old boy, all by myself, under the watch of a pastor, but led him to Christ. When I led my oldest daughter to the Lord Jesus Christ, we got saved. I like celebrating for everything. She got saved. Let's go celebrate. Well, man, for me, celebration means you go get ice cream. We went to Baskin and Robbins. We got in there, and I'm looking at all the flavors, and she says, Dad, she's pointing at a 16-year-old girl, or what seemed to be a 16, teenage girl. She said, Dad, do you think she's saved? I said, I don't. She said, well, don't you think we ought to tell her? And here I am, the preacher, and I'm more interested in what flavor I'm going to eat. I'm trying to narrow it down to seven. And she's worried about some teenager over here. So you know what a, the godly father said? Go and tell her. She was thinking, since I told my daughter how to be saved, that it'd just be logical that dad would just run over there and tell this girl how to be saved. Because that's what we do. You know what she did? She went over there and told her. She was five. I'm just saying, if a child is old enough to get saved, they're old enough to witness. Every one of us should be witnessing. Let me help you. In our church, we take a witnessing count every week from first grade all the way through adults in Sunday school. You know why? Because that's just as important as reading your Bible every day. Now, I used to, as a young pastor, I used to set goals on how many souls were going to win to Christ. You know, there's a danger in doing that. Because you've got some people in your church that are very charismatic in their personality. They're, they're salesmen. And they can get people to pray a prayer, and that person's no more saved than the devil himself. But they're, they're in their zeal trying to do what they think is the work of the Lord. I was rebuked as a pastor for that. I could see that. And I, whoa, 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 let's back that up. That's something that God does. He does the saving. Our job is to witness. And so, therefore, we witness one of four ways. Everyone in here could do this. Number one, personally, personally, share a gospel track with somebody. Now, I usually have some in my pocket. I don't have them, and they're in my car. And I have a good-looking track. It has a handlebar mustache on the front. <laughs> and it says, I must hash you a question. And then inside, the question is, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And then the Romans wrote. You say, well, that's not the same. Oh, yeah, it is. You give somebody that. And if you're scared, give it to them. Run. In fact, you might cause them to really read it now because what in the world's all this about? Of course, they might think it's a bomb and they run too. <laughs> but just say, would you read this? This has changed my life. I'm thinking of a man in our church molested by a Catholic priest, got saved. Bitter towards religion, that's all he knew. He just, every church, every religion was the same to him. He was greatly offended. When he got saved, he was so excited about his faith in Christ. He took a gospel tract and he read it to people and said, could I share something with you that has changed my life? I found out what real love 
is. And he, read, he led 12 people in less than 12 months to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without ever taking a soul winning class by just simply reading a tract. People do what they want to do. And he wanted others to know about Christ. Personally, hand a tract. Secondly, personally invite someone to church. Now, in our area, we live in a very heavily populated Catholic area. And for a Roman Catholic to be invited to a Baptist church is a great offense to them. And so, though to you, that's no big deal. Oh, church, one church, another church, and the church is church, okay? But now that's a, that's a great wall that we have to get over. And by the way, 63% of our church are converted Catholics. And they are the best Baptists in the whole world. When a Catholic, at least in our area, gets saved, wow. They've been taught their whole life to believe in the Bible. They just didn't know what was in it. That's what they tell us. Taught their whole life to believe in God. They just didn't know him and didn't know that you could personally know him. And when they get saved, they've already got the works part down. They've been working their whole life hoping to get to heaven. Now they can back it off a little bit, but they still outwork most Baptists, raised Baptists. They'll outwork them because they're on their way to heaven. Oh, they're wonderful. You invite someone to church with you, that's a witness. And plus, when they get here, they're going to get a witness. Third way is personally pray with somebody. Now, this, this would be more difficult for the average church member, but maybe not. Because usually when you pray, you got your head down, so you're not looking at them. You can have a group of people to your home. When you have family reunions, you know, most of you, you have family members that are not saved. And when you pray for the food, all right, let's just pray for the food. When we have family, a lot of times Lori will say, okay, dad's going to pray for the food. And then I'll, dear Lord, thank you for the food. The hands have prepared it. Thank you for our family. I just pray that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't offend you, but someone that's not saved, what, what does that mean? I do that in the hospital a lot. I'll pray for George, George, um, but his roommate over here, Tom, I'll say, Tom, I'm going to pray for George here. Is there anything I can pray for you about? No, I'm all right. All right, I'll pray for you anyway. I have a hunch you don't want to be here very long. And I'll pray for George. I'll say, Lord, Tom, obviously, he... He doesn't want to be in the hospital. Nobody in their right mind wants to be in the hospital. I pray that you'd see fit to let him go home. But I pray that he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior so that he can go to heaven someday. Say it in a gentle way. That doesn't seem like much. For him, he's going to be thinking about that. Fourthly, fourth way is to personally share the gospel Share the gospel. When we think of witnessing, that's often what we think of, that you have to go to class to learn the right verses to share with people how to be saved. I'm not opposed to that, 
you ought to learn how to do better as a witness. But you know what the best testimony is? Is to tell somebody how you got saved. Just tell someone else how you got saved. Then number seven, and I'll wrap it up right here. Number seven. Can we review them before I get to number seven? All right, number one, every church member should what? Oh, man, you guys are good. Number two. Wow. Three. Four. Okay. Somebody didn't write that one down, but the others were much stronger. Five. Maintain properties. Six. Number seven. Number seven, get involved in ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, God gave the church pastors and teachers for what reason? For the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry. To do the work of the ministry. I'm thankful for nursery workers in our church. I don't know about you guys. I'm not good with changing diapers. We had five of them. It was the last one that I finally could partially change a diaper. But part of it was my wife's fault. Obviously, it's always the woman that thou gavest me, Lord. She didn't believe in disposable diapers. It's a waste of money. So she had cloth diapers. And so for you young people, I don't know that you understand what that means. That means pins, needles that you end up sticking yourself with six or seven times. And you're about ready to yank that baby's head off because you're stabbing yourself. Then you open it up and then there's that. And I can't, I just can't touch that stuff or smell that <laughs> and look at that stuff. And then she'd go over and dump it in the toilet and then rinse it out in the toilet with your hands that you're going to go and extend the right hand of fellowship at church. <laughs> I just didn't think this was a good practice being a preacher. I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't good in that area. And um, so I'm thankful for nursery workers. I am grateful when the preacher goes along, they're changing one more diaper. To me, I just get duct tape. I duct tape the sides of those diapers and send them home, <laughs> you know, Says hold, holds up to 12 pounds. All right, let's see. Let's see how many pounds it can hold, man. I ain't doing it. To me, a nursery worker is part of the work. It's part of the body. Guy that mows the grass at our church and trims the bushes and changes the sign and sets up the chairs and goes through with our little measuring stick to make sure that each row is straight all the way back so they're not angled, etc. To, to dust the platform, to vacuum, to wash windows. I'm grateful for all the body doing the work of the ministry because that's what it takes. There's ministries here. I loved hearing your choir this morning, but I was surprised. I can't remember the last time I was ever in a church where I enjoyed the choir, 
and most of the members were men. That's not complaining. But man, you guys could get in trouble with the media. Do you realize that? The word's going to be out that you don't like women singers. Man, wait till I call NBC and they'll have a crew here tonight. They only allowed three women to sing in the choir. It's a man thing over there. No, it's just unusual. Usually it's the other way around. You can't get men to participate. And then to sing with such zeal that they sang. I mean, for a small choir, they banged it out there like they were a big choir. Almost like the Mormon tabernacle. <laughs> but man, wouldn't it, I want to tell you something. Tell me if I'm telling the truth as just normal church members. It's cool when you walk in and see a full choir, isn't it? You know, when we have revival, I'm saying this because next week is revival, it blesses the guest speaker. And by the way, that's who you want to be a blessing to. He's going to be preaching. You want to make him happy. Because if he's happy, you're going to be happy. If he's not happy, it's going to be a real long sermon. <laughs> Man, when we have revival, I pack the choir. I go out and recruit. Hey, come sing in the choir. Come sing in the choir. Come. Well, I can't sing. Get up there and don't sing. Just smile. <laughs> the people beside you, they'll sing. You know what happens? They get up there and smile. Next thing you know, they're singing and they're singing right along. Not every member in our choir can really sing. If you sat up there, you'd be saying, what are they doing in the choir? They're up there because they want to make a joyful noise to the Lord. But as a choir, you don't hear individuals. You hear a group. And quite frankly, that's where a lot of people learn to sing music. Some of our best soloists were people that couldn't carry a note in a bucket. But they joined the choir just because they wanted to do something. And they learn to sing by singing with others. You ought, to, you ought to pack that thing out. There ought to be some ladies in here and say, well, bless the Lord, we're going to have as many women up there as we do men. And I'd, get up, I'd pack that thing out next Sunday. Hallelujah. There are just different ministries we all can be involved in. The best friends, the people that stay the longest in church, are usually people that are involved. People that feel like nobody cares about them is because they have no close friends. And the way you develop close friends is working with somebody else. That's on the job, that's in school, that's in every arena of life. The scripture says he that hath friends must first show himself friendly. And you do that in the church of the living God. This isn't my typical sermon. I think most of you know that. But I'm going to ask a couple men to help me out right now. What I want to do, and again, I'm treating, oh, you got those? Okay, very good. I want everybody to take one of these. This is what I call a response card. I do this in my church once a year. And I want you to put your name at the top. Most people today, they don't like signing anything. Well, that sounds like a commitment. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. The difference is we're not going to come after you if you don't fulfill it. We're just going to pray for you. But if you look at it, I think most of this crowd's already on board anyway. 
That's the only reason I can get away with that in this kind of a church. Put your name up there. I love my God and my church and will be faithful in the following. I'm going to do my very best to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do my best to pray every day. Just put a check. I'm going to do my best to attend every service I possibly can. I'm going to learn to tithe and increase my offerings. I'm going to keep an eye on maintaining the church facility. I'm going to do my best to begin witnessing. Look how easy I was on you. Weekly. I I think you ought to do it every day. But for many, it'll be an entry level. The first time that you're making this kind of a commitment. Hand out one track a week. I want to be involved in ministry. And, and I asked Pastor Keeley, I said, could you just tell me some ministries in your church where you could use some help? Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. This is your pastor. Obey them. They have the rule over you. He said we could use help in the choir, the nursery, children's ministry, ushers, greeters, hospitality, nursing home. Now, look at me just for a minute because I want to explain something. If you check this, this does not obligate you to serve in the ministry. Are you looking at it? I am interested in knowing more about the checked ministries of our church. What you're saying is, I'd be willing to sing in the choir if I knew what was expected. Like, do they practice five hours on Tuesday night? If that's the case, I can't be there. Otherwise, you can't make a decision until you actually know what's required of you. Are you with me? And then what your pastor will do, or one of the staff, they're going to call you and say, you want to work in the nursery? This is what we'd like you to do. They'll explain that to you. You want to work as, a, as an usher? This is what we would expect of you. Then you would be able to say, okay, sign me up. I want to do that. All this is, you're communicating to the pastor that, yes, I want to raise my level of ministry in the church. And so I want to share with you the interests that I have. And if I'm able at all, I want to do that. And so this will help your pastor know how to develop his membership so that this church, which you've already grown for the last couple of years, because when I first came here, you guys were really small. You guys have already made great progress. This will help you to mature in the Lord. Well, then I want you to do is when I pray, check that out. I'm going to ask everybody in the church to come and pray for their church. We say everybody, everybody. I believe in prayer. God said, my house shall be called the house of Well, then we're all going to come and pray. If you're able to kneel, some of my old timers in our church, they can't kneel because of their backs and knees, etc. But they're part of the family, part of the team. They'll come and stand and pray. Could you stand up in your chair? Sure you could. But collectively as a body, we want to as a team work together. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for revival next week. And then pray over the list that you've checked and said, Dear God, I'm going to do my best to keep this commitment for the rest of this year. 2020, that's another story. But 2019, 
I'm going to do my best to be faithful in these seven areas. The last being, I want to be involved in ministry.